I think one of the reasons why Christmas is so popular is the vision that it inspires within us. Obviously, some of the other things uh, help along, presents, parties, all the pretty decorations, but still, most of those even are at least associated with or grew out of the soul of the celebration itself. God's love for all humanity expressed through this gift of a baby born to very humble parents. The promise of peace on earth for all humankind and all of creation. The joy of a a just king enthroned forever. These are the inspiration for the presents and the parties and the pretty decorations. It's this soul of the season as well that has inspired magnificent paintings and sculptures and beautiful music and moving literary works. So it's no wonder uh, that in two of our three scripture readings this morning, we hear words that portray these themes of peace and joy and reconciliation. Uh, Similar to last week, Isaiah shares with us in this scripture a vision of what will be, what the Messiah will mean to the world. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leper lie down with the goat. All these previously dangerous and vicious creatures will be peaceful and they'll all live together in peace. Uh, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations, all the nations will rally to him and the place of his rest will be glorious. That beautiful vision again of, of peace Uh, among all creation. Paul foresees a day when all peoples will be united because of, again, this root of Jesse. Um, Everything that has been written was written to teach us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify God. And again, uh, Paul particularly addresses that major split between God's original people, the Jewish people, and everybody else, the Gentiles, and now how through Christ all will be brought together as one. And he again quotes Isaiah, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations and the Gentiles even will hope in him. So may God fill you with hope and joy and peace as you trust in him. All these beautiful themes, again, of, of what we celebrate at Christmas time, the heart of our celebration. We believe that Jesus is that root of Jesse that sprung up on Christmas Day. And therefore, Christmas is all about love and peace and joy for the whole world, all of creation. So what do we do with John the Baptist? 
into this beautiful, quiet, pastoral, idealized picture comes this literal wild man. Guy's got twigs in his hair from sleeping out in the desert. He's running around half naked with like animal clothing and eating locusts and honey. And he's calling people names. He's yelling at them and calling them names. Respectable church going people nonetheless. Let's be honest. This is not a character that's depicted on most any of our Christmas cards. When we've, when we've had children's Christmas pageants in the past, we haven't usually had a John the Baptist running around in a loincloth. And yet, he appears in all four Gospels. All four stories about the life of Jesus, John the Baptist is there. As wild, unkempt, and inappropriate as he is to our ideal of Christmas, he is essential to the reality of what we celebrate at Christmas. Our first step on the path of life in the kingdom of God that we invoke on Christmas Day requires that we not only hear the message of John the Baptist, but we respond accordingly. If we ever hope to experience in full the love and the joy and the peace that we glimpse at Christmas, we have to be honest with ourselves and turn toward God. That is the key word in John's message. Here in the NIV, it's translated repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There are subtle variations about how that Greek word metanoia is translated. Um, David Bentley Hart translates it, change your hearts. Eugene Peterson translated it, change your life. Generally, I like the more fairly, it's broad, generally open, turn around, turn around. Matthew connects John the Baptist with a passage from Isaiah that mentions preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the road for the king. It gives John's message of repent a bit of a, a traveling connotation. Along the lines of, you're going the wrong way. If you want to meet up with the king, then you need to turn around and go the other direction. Another benefit of understanding repent as turn around is the truth it reflects about what God has already done for us in Jesus. When John the Baptist announces the kingdom of God is near, he's letting us know that God has already come to find us. God has always made the first moves, initially in creation itself, creating us and this world. Then in the covenant with Abraham and all nations will be blessed through you. And then ultimately in giving us Jesus the Christ. We don't need to find God. God has already found us. So if we are not experiencing God, it's because we're likely facing in the wrong direction. 
that we are moving in the wrong direction. John's main message then is turn around. Face toward God. Move toward God. That message, turn around, face towards God, move towards God, that message in and of itself is not particularly harsh or even negative. The problems arise when dealing with people who think they are going in the right direction but are not and don't want to hear that they are not going in the right direction. And that's exactly the case that we get with those two different groups of people that John points out. Uh, in verse 7, we hear John say to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were coming out to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a particularly inviting welcome. But they were, they were two people that needed to be shaken up. The Pharisees were essentially the serious churchgoers of the time. Lay people, not the, the, the priests and the professionals. We'll talk about them in a minute. The Pharisees were the, the lay people, the good, serious, church-going folks. They felt that they were the only ones who were living the way that God wanted them to live, that were obeying all the rules. And they were extremely harsh and judgmental of others that they didn't think were following the rules, who they didn't feel were being serious enough. The Sadducees were pretty much on the other end of the spectrum. They were the professional church people, people like me. They were pastors and priests and theological professors, the ones who get paid to know all the right answers, but don't necessarily care whether they follow the right answers. They just knew them. John won't have any of it from either group. You brood of vipers. Who told you to come out here? What are you doing out here? Dale Bruner uh, does a, a great job of explaining why John is so harsh towards these good people, these church folk. He writes, in John the Baptist, God does the honor of taking us seriously, grabbing us by the lapel and telling us that we must turn around if we are to meet God from the right direction. The message must be heard most seriously by those of us who claim to be the ones to take God most seriously. The chief problems of the people of God were the most visible representatives of the people of God. So John removes himself from consideration for all future Christmas cards 
by unleashing his wrath on these public blowhards claiming to be following God, but who are actually going in the opposite way. The most surprising aspect of this story, though, for me, is how many people embraced John's message for themselves. We hear at the start of this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert, out in the boonies, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then we hear that in verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem, this metropolitan um, cultural center. They, would, they went out into the desert to hear him, and not only them, but all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan River and the Jordan Valley. People were flooding out to the boonies to hear from John and turn around, turn their lives around. Even more specifically, we hear that they did what they did, confessing their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. In this context, I believe that confessing their sins amounted to being honest with themselves and admitting to God that they were turned away from God. Whether in part or in whole, it doesn't matter, but in some ways that they had turned the wrong way, that they were going in the wrong direction. As human beings, our essential first step on the path to life in the kingdom is, again, to turn toward God. Again, I love Dale Bruner's words on this. He writes, the important thing to see here in in this part is that the remedy for sin is not denying sin's presence or explaining it away. It is admitting it. We are free from sin only when we face it. And I love this line. We disown sin by owning up to it. We disown sin by owning up to it. In fact, that uh, prayer of confession, when I kept silent, my bones withered away within me, but then I confessed to you, Lord, and you brought me healing. God has already reached out to us. Again, God has already found us in love and in grace in Jesus Christ. So our first step on the path to life in God's kingdom is to be honest about who we are, what direction we're facing, and in those areas where we aren't facing God, to turn toward God. And we all need to do this. We all need to do this in whole or in part. Every single one of us here, and I didn't get into this with the kids, I almost made this my children's message, Uh, But every single one of us here has turned away from God in the past, is currently turned away from God, and will turn away from God in some way, if not in many ways. I'm not going to ask you to even agree with me by a show of hands. I don't need to take a poll. I know. 
It might be racism or bigotry. It might be domestic abuse. It might be cheating or stealing or gossip or slander. It might be pornography or alcohol or gambling. I went for the big three. Or it might be all of them. None of us are perfect. But God doesn't expect perfection. God does not expect perfection. God wants honesty. In this, I believe that we have a tremendous amount to learn from our sisters and brothers in 12-step groups like AA. The first step of the 12 steps is we admit we are powerless over alcohol or whatever the reason that they're for, therefore. We admit we are powerless over fill in the blank, that our life had become unmanageable. And the next two steps are tremendously helpful as well. They refer to needing a greater power and turning our lives over to that power. This honesty about our own fallenness and brokenness is what John the Baptist calls for from all followers of God, especially in Christ. I was thinking about this. We, we might be better off if we took that, the banner down that we currently have out front that says everyone is welcome here and put up a new banner that says only sinners are welcome here. I don't know if that would double our attendance or we'd lose everyone, but only sinners are welcome here, people who are at least willing to admit that they are sinners. In a slight way, that is what we acknowledge when we begin every service with that blessing, the Lord be with you and also with you, because we are all in need of the presence of the Lord with us and the Lord's help. So again, our first step as human beings on the path to life in the kingdom of God is simply to be honest about who we really are. The hope here, I use hope, not wish. Wish is something that we have no confidence in, for sure. We, have, we can't say with certainty. But hope is something we're certain of. So the hope here is that when we take this step of turning toward God, repenting, confessing our sins, whatever you'd like to call it, the hope here is that we realize when we do that, that Jesus has been there the whole time waiting for us. And Jesus will help us to continue along the path into deeper into the kingdom of God as we do that. When Jesus says that, or excuse me, when John says that Jesus will separate the wheat from the chaff and burn up the chaff, this is not so much about separating sinners from good people. This is about separating good people from their sins. Every kernel of wheat has chaff on it. Every kernel does. Winnowing with the winnowing fork is similar to purifying. It's removing the chaff that's on every kernel removing the chaff from that and getting rid of it so that only the pure part remains. 
The more we continue on the path with Christ, the more of our best self we will become. William Barclay makes a vital point. He writes, John's message is not mere negative denunciation. It was a positive building of the moral standards of God. John not only denounced men and women for what they had done, he summoned them to what they ought to do. He not only condemned them for what they were, he challenged them to be what they could be. There have been and are, I threw that part in, there have been is what William Barclay wrote, but I say that there continue to be times when the church has been too occupied in telling people what not to do. But John is also occupied in setting before them the height of the Christian ideal, of what they can do. The more we walk with Christ, the closer to the ideal we will become. As John says in the message translation of verse 11, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. I still don't foresee John the Baptist appearing on any of our Christmas cards anytime soon. And yet, we will never reach the beautiful vision inspired by Christ's birth without the message of John. Our first step on the path to the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom is being honest about who we are. Amen.